0: Hi friends, this is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast. Before I jump into this week's episode, I do have some exciting news. This week, my new book came out. Connect Ed, which is a publishing company that I have partnered with for my third book, has just released Pause, Breathe, Flourish, Living Your Best Life as an Educator. And I'm so excited That that is now available at connected.org. If you are looking for a book where you can invest in your own growth, your own flourishing, your own ability to reflect on your mindset, on your practices, on your relationships, on your resources, uh, this is a book that I wrote because so many principles that. I've worked with over the last few years have asked me that question. How can I make sure that I am individually investing so that I can keep doing this work with inspiration? So, so excited. I, I feel like the father of a new child um, with this new book coming out. So if you have an opportunity to check it out at connect ed with two D's dot org, please do that. I'd love for you to leave a review on Amazon and, um, And that's it. I'm gonna transition out to this week's episode and you can welcome back co-host Jen Schwanke for this week. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 210. Hi friends, this is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast. Each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about Reopening Reflections with my guest and co-host, back in the seat, Jen Schwanki. Jen Schwanke is the principal of Indian Run Elementary in Dublin, Ohio, and the author of two books, You're the Principal Now What? and The Principal Reboot, Eight Ways to Revitalize Your School Leadership. Jen Schwanke, it's so great to see you. You have been in the thick of things, reopening school, taking care of your family, managing a pandemic like everyone else across the U.S. and the world, but I... I'm so excited to just catch up and have some reflections with you about what that's looked like in your particular part of the world. So welcome back. It's good to see you. You too. Um,
1: I can't wait to hear about your end. Uh, Luckily, we span a lot of the United States between Oklahoma and Ohio. so, (laughs) So we can talk about what's going on in between.
0: Well, and last week I had my first opportunity to do some out-of-state virtual training since COVID had started. You know, my full-time work is here in Oklahoma, Um, but through Principal Matters, I have opportunities to do training too. And I was actually with 20 Ohio principals on uh, Friday, and so I had an opportunity to connect and just listen to what's going on. And even in your state, there's so much variety. I mean, you have people that are already in school. You have people that are beginning school next week. You have some that are waiting till middle of September. You've got some that are distant, some that are in person with masks. And, so, and I've discovered the same thing in my state. And really with any person I talk to across the U.S., it really doesn't seem to matter where you live. There's not, there's not a norm. Uh, it's, it's, not. it's different everywhere. What has that been looking like for you guys in Dublin?
1: Well, again, in Ohio, it is all over the place, and the rural schools tend to be going back. um, Some of them um, full enrollment every day, but some of the suburban schools have hybrid models. Some of them have remote until a certain date. Some of them have a wait and see (laughs) approach. My district, I feel like, blended everything all together, and it's been... Um, I I think the smartest, most sound and most responsible approach, but also very tricky in terms of communication because it's confusing to people. It's confusing to parents, certainly, um, especially parents with English language challenges or, um, you know, who just moved into the district. And so the communication piece has been really challenging. And this is true to your point all over the country. Um, This weekend I'm doing a virtual consulting some virtual consulting work with arkansas and i said to the liaison okay now tell me what model arkansas has and she threw back her head and she laughed and laughed and laughed and said now that is impossible to answer because again everybody's doing certain doing different things and i think what's challenging to teachers and superintendents and principals and probably everyone involved in education is the comparison game Mm -hmm. it's very easy to look you know down the highway a little bit and think, well, we should have done that. Or, you know, look how easily that's going for them. Whereas nobody is showing the warts and the scars from mistakes at this point. We're all just trying to make it look like things are are going well.
0: Mm, I love that, Jen. And and already you're just giving me some golden nuggets to think about because, (laughs) you know, the danger of looking at your friends down the road or even in the same district, there's so many things that are beyond your control. And so even just listening to you talk about the connections that you're gonna be doing in Arkansas, I I always just keep rewinding back in my own mind to what are the essentials that work in any condition? Because those same essentials are gonna have to be what we rely on in these conditions.
1: Well, and I don't wanna leave the comparison conversation and what you just said is so important because what never works in any condition is comparing. And what this has done, this whole COVID thing and and going virtually, is it has made comparisons evident, you know, right there in everyone's living room. Comparisons between teachers. Um, comparisons between what's happening with different schools, comparisons between principals work. Mm -hmm. And I feel really bad for educators, including myself, because if I send out a newsletter to my community and I omit one detail, well, now they have access to what the newsletter that every other principal sent out on the Mm -hmm. same topic. And so our words are scrutinized, our actions are scrutinized. Teachers within my building are really struggling because in a situation with siblings, they may have one approach to remote learning and the teacher down the hall has a different one and that was never too much of a problem in person. Mm -hmm. But if you have one home support person who has very different experiences between two students, then they call the principal, right? And that none of those differences are bad. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what makes our students resilient and be able to understand expectations and follow through. But now there's a home support person who feels that that those comparisons need to be diminished or even eliminated. And that's that's not what we want, but it's what we're, we've been asked to do.
0: Yeah, well, let's let's talk for just a few minutes, Jen, about your experience, because I know that you're living it um but but sometimes i think it's helpful to reflect on it from the perspective of others who can just listen to your story because i know that as i'm sharing with other principals sometimes just realizing oh i'm not the only one is is encouraging and 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 not as a means of comparison i just want to be able to walk unpack with you a little bit of some of the some of the challenges and obstacles um, and then some of the successes that you felt in prepping and then actually reopening. First of all, give us a status of where you guys are. Have you reopened? Are you in person? You, you said it's blended. Give us a picture of what that means. So I
1: have a blend of all the things I truly do. What What we have done is we started almost just a week past our Planned start date and we started all remote. So every student has been remote for two weeks. Now over the summer, we gave families the option to choose and commit to remote until January. So roughly one third of our families did that. And so they're remote till January. Now, all principals and superintendents who heard that are probably thinking now, wait, what about staff? And that was a huge upending of the apple cart. We had to pull staff from their roles that in some cases they had done for decades and make them remote teachers until January. And that until January sounds like a very long time in July, but it doesn't if you think, well, wait, what about February? What about March? What am I doing? And so that was a really, disruptive and challenging time to do those reassignments of teachers Now the other two thirds, again, did the remote for two weeks and then on Tuesday, we're starting what we're calling orientation. And that's when 25% of the students are coming back at one time. So we have the alphabet cut into fourths and morning one, the first chunk comes morning or afternoon one, the second chunk comes uh, morning two, the third and so on. And so we'll do that for two weeks. And then after that, we're going to go into our hybrid mode with that two thirds that want to return and the hybrid mode. Is 50%. So the student, the alphabet split in half, and some come in the morning, some come in the afternoon. Now the complication, and I know every state has dealt with this. The numbers continue to change. Health departments continue to adjust their expectations and their guidance. And so what happened in Ohio, um, again, my heart went out to every educator is there was an official who said, okay, the numbers are going down. We really need to get kids back in school. Well, the public lost its mind, right? Because some people thought that meant tomorrow, let's get all the kids back and let's resume everything and everything will be fine. And, um, some people said well wait a minute aren't we committed till january <laughs> what are we going to do and so it really that comment that was probably made impulsively really reverberated all the way down to to the student level So that's what our model looks like. Around the outer belt, we have every kind of rendition of that model. Some districts just went remote until at least the the end of the first semester. Some are doing a hybrid model. Um, To my knowledge, ours is the only one doing an orientation model with 25% of the students. And I'm so glad we're doing that. It's going to give us time in extremely small groups. And by that, I mean six, seven students in in a class. Where we're gonna go over the mask protocol. We're gonna go over how we walk through the hallways and we're gonna do the required safety drills, those types of things. So I, I'm grateful for that time. But it's it it, it isn't gonna be easy because for some parents who have been two weeks of remote, it feels like a reduction in services mm-hmm. because your student only goes every other day for half the day. So Yeah,
0: that's so what let me, it looks like <laughs> thank you for that. Um, I, I do wanna just park for a second and unpack a couple of things because I'm just curious, and I know that you have to be um, cautious as a leader to make sure that you're representing your district well, but at the same time, be, be authentic and, and talking to leaders about leadership. So, I'm just curious um, how you've managed resistance because there is resistance. I don't care how good your plan is, I don't care how, how well you've planned, I don't care how much care you've placed into communication. There will be resistance from someplace that you're going to have to manage, and so. Um, go there for a minute. How have you been managing that?
1: I'm so fortunate to have a superintendent and a central office team that models and supports um, that us as we navigate that resistance. So to give credit where it's due, this model, although complicated, is is really smart. Because in a lot of ways, everyone gets a little bit of what they want. Not necessarily when they want and not how they want, but it is slow and it's deliberate and it's careful. So they have developed this model and it's it's really going to work. And, and they believe in it and they have thought through every single de- detail and nuance. And so therefore, when the resistance comes, there's an answer. There's an answer to every complaint. And so again, my superintendent, my deputy superintendent, our director of academics and teaching, they, they have given us talking points to help manage that resistance. And again, I'm fortunate because if the resistance is hard and unrelenting and nasty, I have that support system to help me navigate it. Um, the good thing, I have found that majority of people really do have a lot of grace and understanding at this point, they really do. They will often start a resistant uh, complaint with, listen, I know this is hard, and boy, I jump on that. I say, yes, it is hard, it's hard for
0: everyone. <laughs> Well it's powerful when you have strong district leadership that can help manage some of that resistance for you which um, which is what a blessing Jen. Let's talk about your teachers for a little bit because I know that when you are transitioning into something like this that the caring for them first so that they can care for your kids is such a huge priority. So what is that what's that journey been like? I'm just really curious what what PD looked like for you guys. Were you in person uh, how what did that dynamic look like as you prepped for reopening?
1: Well, again, I'm going to give all credit to our central office staff because over the summer, they worked, I don't even know how many hours a day they were putting in, and what they developed was a learning site, a remote learning site. And it was, um, it's so chock full of resources, ideas, suggestions, protocols, um, answers to so many questions that all the teachers need to go, do is go to the site. The other thing they did in, in such a wise move is they outlined a sample schedule for what remote learning would look like. And so everyone is consistent. And that was a direct answer to feedback we'd gotten in the spring in which parents might potentially say, I have four children in the house. One of them has six Google Meets a day. One of them is once a week. One of them, nothing's really happening in the ones that are that are scheduled and the other one doesn't have anything scheduled. So we really tightened up. And again, I say we, but that's not fair because it came from our central office leaders. We really tightened up the expectations for teachers and that gave them a framework expectations is the wrong word because there's such a negative connotation with that. But it gave them a free framework with which to plan their day, whether it be remotely or the orientation model or the hybrid model. And so that question was answered before teachers even badged in to come back to school. The community knew it, it was on the website. The superintendent uh, did several videos that were sent out. So everyone knew those sample guided schedules. And from there, teachers could begin to plan their day, communicate with their families and have a site to go where all the references and resources were there. And another thing I wanna say, and this is for principals all over this country and indeed probably internationally. Whenever a crisis happens, Everyone wants to make a buck, right? So we were getting, I was getting upwards of 12, 13, 14 emails a day from online resources who wanted to sell me a product. We have the way you can do math. We have the answer to spelling during COVID. We have the answer to um, supporting your child as a reader or your student as a reader. And we had to, as, a, as an administrative team and as a teaching staff, really resist that. Many um, vendors wanna make money, I get it. And many teachers wanted the answers. Not, I don't wanna say the easy way, I wanted to say a clear way. So they were signing up sometimes for these subscription-based online resources that weren't any good, quite frankly. They didn't line up with our curriculum or what we believed students needed to know or how they needed to know it. So again in the summer there was a lot of vetting of these online resources and we tightened it up and said to the to the teachers and principals you can only purchase these These from these resources or these vendors. And it sounds like it was controlling, but it was the opposite, really. It allowed us to really go deep into those fantastic, vetted, long-time resources. A good example is Scholastic or PebbleGo or Epic Books. And at the high school level, I'm sure they have a lot of wonderful resources, too. It allowed us to really know those, go deep, and use them without these flash-in-the-pan vendors that were just out to make a buck.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that, Jen, because you know with the covid relief monies that have been coming in from the federal government with states trying to figure out how they can use that quickly make decisions on on those i mean this frankly it's rife for for fraud and um, exactly and so so there's I, I think that's so important as a leader that you that you confer with the, your other district leaders to make sure that you're being consistent that you are moving forward, because at some point, people are going to begin looking back at all the purchases that have been made during this time, and they're going to begin examining those, and I guarantee they're going to find things that happened during this pandemic that were just rife for fraud. Um, And so, yeah, so it's important. It's an important accountability measure. Let's talk a little bit about your your kids, your students, because if, I'm just really curious from the perspective, and I know every kid's experience is probably going to be different depending on his teacher, his home life, her home life, et cetera. But let's, let's just try to generalize for a second. If I was a student at your school, what might that experience be looking like for me right now?
1: Students are so different and I find it fascinating that some students think this is the best thing that's ever happened. You know, I would love <laughs> to learn from my bedroom. This is wonderful. And then some students who are are really struggling and they're, their response to to how they're feeling about all this is a direct reflection and also feeds into their parents' worries, anxieties, um, celebrations, whatever. So it's a lot to unpack. I always think of that phrase, you know, you don't know what's going, behind, going on behind somebody's front door. And that's not as true as it used to be because just like parents and students are now seeing comparisons and um, planning differences between teachers, we are seeing a little bit more about what our students are experiencing. If I had to choose, if, I, if you said to me, what are kids feeling, what I would say is they are feeling okay. They underst- stu- Kids are amazing, aren't they? They understand this, they understand nobody chose this, they understand nobody's doing this to them, and they're coping and they're dealing. Um, some of them hate it, but there's probably almost an exact alignment, students who hated the traditional model of school. So, yeah. you know, historians are the ones with all the answers. So it'll be a couple of decades until we know <laughs> the impact of all of this on students. But right now, what I would say is I'm, I'm overcome with pride for our young people. Mm-hmm. I do not feel dismay or fear or or, um, or despair about this generation of students. I think they're resilient. They're figuring out what they need to do. And they're kind of looking around at the adults and they're following the adults lead, but they're also just getting the work
0: done. Hi friends. I want to take a quick break in this conversation to invite you to consider joining a mastermind. Maybe you're stepping into this new semester and you're trying to figure out ways that you can continue growth in a more concentrated way with other leaders who share like-minded values and goals and who are willing to create mutual accountability in reaching those together. Well, each week I host a mastermind group that includes a select number of leaders that are together reading rich leadership content, practicing self-reflection, and providing hot seat opportunities for leaders who can share their most important or difficult moments with feedback from others on how to overcome those or how to move forward. If this sounds like something that would be interesting to you, I do have a few seats open for this upcoming mastermind, and you can check it out at my website at williamdparker.com slash mastermind, or just go to my website and look for the link to masterminds, or you can email me at will at williamdparker.com to find out more. Now back to our show. That's great. Let's talk about parents for a few minutes too, Jen, because I know that, it, especially at your level with the elementary, that that's such an, that's it's an integral role um, because I have secondary kids at my home and that was my experience. And I know from watching my kids, they become fairly independent because they're high school kids, you know, and so, but I believe the experience between elementary and secondary has been so different in this, right. in this time. So talk a little bit about how you're supporting and helping parents through this. Cause I'm sure that anxiety level is really high for some.
1: Right. The challenge for me. And I think most administrators is again, that spectrum of where parents are on this whole thing. Some of them think it's preposterous and we need to open up the doors and let everybody in. Other people are are terrified. They haven't left their house since March. And so to find a way to speak to, and I I mean that figuratively, to speak to every parent has been a huge challenge. So with that said, the most reassuring thing you could do for a parent is make sure their child is okay. And what I see teachers doing, not just in my district, but, but the teachers I've been working with all over, they really are making their primary goal independence i I feel like i can a teacher might say i feel like i can do this i can make the students independent and i have kindergarten teachers in my building who are saying to parents let these kids do it i we can we can do this you don't need to sit there all day every day and you know so many parents who in a single parent home perhaps or or a parent who has to work many hours they can't be there making sure that everything happens um, as it would, you know, in a, if a teacher were sitting there. So teachers have had to really plan their lessons and their instruction for parents' needs and also to simultaneously create independent thinkers and learners, and if it's happening. Five-year-olds are longing, logging in on their own. Five-year-olds are, listening to a lesson and then going off and independently creating something that they can then give back to their teacher. So again, if anything, this has reinforced my faith in students and young learners, and that supports parents. Um, I think the first week was hardest because every parent was just holding their breath. And then last week, our second week, I felt a huge exhale where parents thought, okay, this, this might be all right and I don't have to sit here every day losing a paycheck or losing control of my own life while i you know help my child learn to count
0: or read well that's a great reflection and um and i know because i've been reaching out to my friends who have elementary kids and and of course we have secondary kids and the experiences just vary i mean sometimes it varies from kid to kid within your own home exactly and uh it's so you know some can just be loving it and others can just be struggling and so it's just it's so different from child to child, which is the way schools always been. Absolutely. Um, but now, but but now parents are, are having to manage that a lot of them at home. Let's talk a little bit about your work, Jen, because um, I'm just really curious, and I think this is a helpful reflection for other principals who are in your shoes too. Um, let's talk about what this has looked like for you personally and and professionally. How have you had to adjust the way you lead? Because now you're starting a new school year in a completely different way. I'm, I'm curious if you felt some of that same return energy or if that was completely different. Um, so I know it's a big question, because um, like we could go a lot of directions with that. But how, how's Jen Schwanke doing as, as a leader in this new norm?
1: That is a great question. And I think we could talk several hours about that. And, and <laughs> th- principals are constantly trying to find the balance between professional life and personal life. But to me, that the balance isn't so much a, a management of time or energy. It's more about a mental balance. I have reminded myself countless times these last week few weeks, I am not paid to have an opinion right now. I'm paid to focus on safety. I'm paid to filter through all the information that's been given to me and try and make sense of it and then empower my teachers. This, the role of principal and and really educator at this point right now is just input, 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 input. You take in all this input, and by that I mean questions, concerns, worries, whatever, and, and you regurgitate it in your brain and then you have to have output. You have to communicate, you have to reassure, you have to support. And so that's what I'm paid to do. This is a job of input, swirling it around and then providing some output. So if I remember wow. what I'm paid to do, I'm not paid to be upset about covid. I'm not paid to be angry cuz the buses are late. I'm paid to not have an opinion and make sure everybody is safe and and learning in the best way they can.
0: Oh man, I'm so glad you said <laughs> that Jen. That that is golden and um I'm just going to park there for a minute, you know, keep unpacking. Cause that's, that's rich.
1: <laughs> well, I also wanted to talk to administrators who are parents. Cause we're in a really odd spot right now. Again, I'm not paid to have an opinion. Am I worried for my own children? The ones I birthed? Yes. But, but no one wants to hear about my kids. And I don't say that in a pouty way, not at all. They don't want me to say, Oh yeah, I've got a kid who's really struggling and I got one who's doing great. They don't want to hear that. So my experience my living room my support system is is really irrelevant right now parents and teachers and students need me to think about them and i am absolutely okay with that i think it's easy for a parent to feel like a, a parent principal to think you know what about me what about my kids and again i find peace by saying well that's not what i'm paid to think about i am that's my mom job that's not my principal job it's a unique time for administrators who are parents and i think putting things in categories about what your work asks of you and what your parenting work asks of you is extremely helpful
0: thank you jen that that's so that's such a great reminder and um it just reminds me of some of the more difficult times in school leadership that that we've experienced in the past because you know this isn't the first crisis we've ever managed this is the first pandemic we've ever managed
1: right. it, And and you know what else I want to say? I am. um, I don't know if this podcast reflects it, but I am a goofy, laughing. um, I I find a lot of joy in this world, and I have continued to insist that we do that at school, and we do that in our office, Mm -hmm. and we do. I mean, it's okay to joke about this mess we're in. It really is. This is not um, anything that needs to make us um, forget our souls, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, I I would say that more than anything, I have balanced. Um, professional and personal needs just by making sure there's still joy and celebration and laughter. I mean, there's so much to laugh at right now. There's so much, you know, loss of common sense and and a really gobbledygooked um, version of science and data and news. The only thing you can do is laugh and then make the best decision for the situation you're in.
0: You're so right. And uh, a friend of mine whose school has been able to return in person with masks and protocols at the high school level, um, put up a post uh, last week or the week before, that, because at their lunchtime's um, every Friday they host they used to host like a karaoke lunchtime so kids could just perform at lunch and just have fun. And it's created a, a culture that's so exciting. So I think they've switched it this time to like dance-offs or something. So they yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so with social distance appropriate dance-off happening at lunch. And I was just so happy to see them embedding fun into their culture no matter what. They're just still gonna figure out a way to make school places that you that you want to be. Um, I, th- I know this might be a deep question, but And, and who knows, I I think right now, most of us are just trying to survive, but I did want to ask you about your hopes and fears for this year. You know, what, what are, what are some things you're hoping to see? And and what are some concerns that you legitimately have um, as a leader that, that you're still wrestling with?
1: I am very hopeful. I really am. And, and, Again, that goes back to what I said earlier about just watching young people handle this. It makes me feel in a lot of ways, they're a lot more resilient and less prone to outrage than the um, air quote adults are. So I have a lot of hopes there. There's learning in everything, right? Well, everything. And we're learning really important things right now. Maybe it's not so much about fractions and diphthongs, but I really hope this brings more balance and faith in young people and really a vision about what school can be. We are doing a lot of things really, really well right now. And I don't mean to propose this will happen because um, what this has, what COVID has revealed is schools are in large part a place for the children to go during the day. <laughs> yeah, I don't wanna use daycare, but, but somewhere where they can go and be safe. But wouldn't it be great if we could have a model, um, and I'm talking more about a hybrid model where students are maybe there half day or every other day. In my school, we're going to half day and there's class sizes of 13. How much you can get done in three hours with 13 students probably far surpasses what you can do in seven hours with 26 or 28 students. Wouldn't it be great if we could take some of these lessons that we made in an emergency situation and say, wow, they really worked. So again, that goes back to the balance and vision about what schools can be. Now, I do have a fear and that is about the vast inequities that we are now being forced to see and reckon with. I think we all knew they were there, but we could go along and kind of, kind of look the other way. But those inequities exist and they're not going away. We have to face them. Mm-hmm. And that's my fear is we'll find a way to not face
0: them. Yeah. Boy, Jen, there's so much to unpack in, in both of those reflections. Um, the power that's teachers are learning to do things that they've never done before the the ability for even seasoned teachers to embrace technology in ways that they've never had before the abilities for us to connect with kids when they're not present the the ways for us to you know asynchronously and synchronously you know teach it's just it's just powerful but then on the flip side of that who's who's missing and who's not being reached and and who's being left behind in this situation because people with resources tend to be the ones who can figure climb their way back to the top. And there are some kids who don't have the same resources as other kids or even access to resources or even adults in their lives who know how to access resources. And so, and so that, that's a, that's a huge challenge and, and something I'd like to um, maybe unpack in our next episode. But, but right now I, I want to just wrap this up, Jen, with, um, With first of all, just a just a huge shout out to you because you are in the trenches, you are working hard, um, and and at the same time, you're being asked a lot of times to speak to the into the lives of other leaders, like you're doing with the folks that you're consulting in Arkansas and through your books. And so, since it's been a while that we've been together, I wanted to remind Principal Matters listeners how to stay connected with you because you're still occasionally writing and blogging and posting things as you have an opportunity. So, remind uh, listeners how they can stay connected with your work and. And keep up with your thoughts.
1: Well, thank you for for this opportunity. I did create um, or update a website, and w- that's a place you can contact me if you need any consulting work or advice or support. And that is simple. It's JenChwonky.com. So there you'll find the I right know you'll find the blog, and you'll find just some of the opportunities that I've been able to expose myself and my thinking to. So um, take a look at that, JenChwonky.com, and then ASCD publishes my books, and so you can always get on their website and and purchase one of the books. And I, you know, obviously the Principal Matters Podcast, that's where you can find Mr. William Parker and Jen Schwanke pontificating about all sorts of things, right? That's
0: right. And you can go back and listen to many previous episodes that Jen has been my most frequent guest, which is why she's dubbed my co-host. So Jen Schwanke, thank you so much for the work that you're doing for your school, for your community, for your parents, for your kids. Congratulations on uh, the additional work that you've been able to do with your with your books and writing, because I know that's a passion for you to share lessons and takeaways with leaders and encourage them in their work too. Um, and Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the work that you do, because what you do matters.
1: Thanks, everyone. We will talk to you soon.
0: If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.